I'm Susie Anetta, Editor-in-Chief of Design Anthology. In this episode of the podcast, I'm chatting with Bangkok-based architect Rachapon Chushue from All Zone. Rashapon, uh, thank you for joining us on the podcast. It's so great to be talking to you. Thank you. It's uh, my pleasure to get connected to you again and the uh, Design Quality team. How has the situation in Bangkok at the moment? Um, regarding to the pandemic, you mean? Uh, yeah. It, it's actually getting worse. <laughs> it's actually getting worse. Uh, oh, no. I think it's worse... Uh, it was uh, ever since the, the pandemic uh, arrived last year. Um, the number of the infection is uh, highest every day, basically. So let's see. Oh, really? Wow. Gosh. Well, thankfully, I don't really want to talk about the pandemic today. I want to talk about your <laughs> practice and, and, and your work. So hopefully it's a little bit more inspiring and a, and a bit of an escape. Um, I wanted to actually go back to the beginning of your career or even before you started your career, actually, and ask you when you first realised that you wanted to study architecture. Do you remember when that was and how old you were? Um, yes, it was in my junior high school, actually. Um, by then, um, well, I was uh, a good student. My grade was good, so usually um, a student in that uh, position would pursue more medical career and uh, engineering, but uh, I found the two were a little bit boring, so uh, I turned into architecture because uh, I, could, uh, I could draw, I could paint, so um, that's how it started. But by then I didn't know much uh, what the uh, architect did actually, I was just, okay, it's uh, science, mathematics, uh, physics, and uh, also with uh, visual art, drawing, and all kinds of things. So I thought it was interesting. And um, then I got into architecture school, and uh, it was not exactly as I thought, but uh, it was still fun. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder actually what... Um what architecture meant to you maybe while you were studying and whether or not that meaning has changed for you in the years since. Do you think you think about architecture in a different way? Yes, it's, it's changed really a lot. Um, in, in school, basically, um, you are taught mainly um, to understand how to make forms, space, how to... Um, actually uh, formulate architecture from several um, factors and so on and uh, it was already hard enough uh, to come up finally with a building upon uh, any um, condition that uh, the assignment uh, 
gave you. But uh, after practicing quite some time, actually, I have to say that uh, my experience is not that long. Like, 12 years in architecture is really short uh, compared to many other people. Um, I think more and more um, concern that I have regarding to architecture it's about people. At the end of the day, if you look at architecture, if you think of architecture, it's all about people. The form, space, materials, structure, whatever uh, that we have to handle, finally would go back to the, to the starting point, uh, which is how people want to leave, how people want to use it. Mm. And so you studied in Bangkok uh, first before then studying or further studies in the US and Japan, if I remember correctly. Yes, um, correct. I, I, I wanted to ask you about, I mean, I imagine that each of those were very different experiences and that you would have learned quite different uh, facets of architecture and, and practice and philosophy perhaps through each of those um, periods of time. I wanted to know, you know, whether you felt that you were able to apply that learning when you returned back to Bangkok, because it's obviously such a different city, even from other cities within Asia, it has such a different pace, very informal in terms of the urban planning. How much of, you know, that time and, and what you learnt during that, that era do you think you've actually been able to apply since returning and practising? Uh, I think what I learned most uh, from both uh, the US and Japan are the process. Um, in the US, uh, in architecture school, um, they, especially the, the school I went in Columbia University, um, they actually try to uh, teach you how to look at things to understand how, how, how you could uh, uh, make observation, analysis of things around that finally could become something as a starting point to make architecture. Why in Japan, uh, you have the same experience, I'm sure, uh, Susie, that um, they are extremely good at, at making. They might not, um, mm. in, in Japan, people don't talk too much about concept, right? How things uh, come out, why, why they do this. But they have extremely uh, good um, skill in making anything. And uh, in, in their making, it's not only uh, just to make it nice, but to make it sublime. So I, I think that's uh, the, the attitude of making, making it better and better and better in Japan uh, taught me a lot how, how to do things, not to give up easily. So I, it was not exactly um, how to apply the knowledge, but more like the process, how to, how to work and how to uh, do anything, I mean, both in the US and in Japan. They are totally different approach, but 
both are interesting to me. Mm. I think I read in an interview with you earlier on that um, that you had said that you don't feel comfortable in Japanese spaces or that they don't they don't feel relaxed to you. Um, I don't know if you remember saying that, but I wondered if you could yes, elaborate yes, yes. On, on that more. Yeah, I wondered, you know, if you could maybe tell us why you feel that way. Uh, I think Japanese space is extremely precise. It's so craft. It's extremely uh, well manicured. I mean, in every uh, aspect, from the size, the details, uh, how you look, how you touch, how you feel. Uh, the designer, the architect is really a leader. Uh, they have thought about everything already, how you uh, are going to move, how you are going to, or going to touch. There's no room that you would do something that they would never think of. So it was extremely amazing for me. It was like, oh my God, as an architect, uh, when you are in this kind of space, you realize how much uh, people, the designer, have worked in the space, in the material, and the structure, and everything to finally uh, reach that kind of condition. But at the same time, it's very uh, restrict. It's like uh, you, you are, you are control. You are control. You are frame in the condition. Uh, it's nice, but it's not relaxed. It's extremely amazing, but it's not relaxed. It's not a place where you would feel that, ah, I can be myself, because you have to uh, behave upon the space that was already thought of in all aspects. Mm, did did so I make myself clear? Yeah, very. Um, so I'm curious to know whether that's something that's in your mind when you're designing spaces do you like to leave space for the people or the residents or the users to to relax is is that something that you're trying to achieve in your work um i don't know if it's to relax but uh, i'm always amazed when i come back to the place that i decide and i realize how people use the space, like the owner of the house or even a museum, how they actually transform, interpret, or even um, re-function uh, the space. Uh, for in that kind of um, in that kind of operation it shows that the place also belong to them, not also to us, the designer. So it was more like the, um, the two-way collaboration. I mean, even it is a collaboration after our uh, existence in the project. But uh, I think that is how you make the space belong to the people and perhaps this could make them more I would say like at home with the space because they have their own um, interpretation or intervention in the space. Mm, that's interesting. 
I actually want to ask you about your own home. So we published that in issue 14 of Design Anthology when we focused yes. on Thailand. And your house is also with uh, your office space. It's, um, you know, sort of an interesting an interesting arrangement and it, it was a shop house. Um, and, you know, I think it's a really great example of your work, which to me, you know, seems to look a lot at reinventing space and being very adaptable. And, you know, you talked about the shop house typology being outdated in Bangkok. And I wondered, you know, whether you're constantly looking at other sort of outdated typologies. Is this something that's on your mind, um, you know, whether it be for self-initiated projects or, you know, as you're wandering the streets of Bangkok, is, is this something that's <laughs> on your mind? <laughs> Always, actually. I was like, ah, <laughs> this look obsolete. This, uh, people don't use them anymore. How can we fix this? In, in, in our case, it's uh, a small building, a sh two um, units of shop house. Uh, we can handle this uh, with our own investments and uh, self-initiative, as you said. But uh, actually, with other bigger topologies, uh, maybe we need uh, more like a real client, people who want to uh, transform it. Uh, by some unknown reasons, uh, like I think half of our project uh, are in this direction, which is like the transformation of uh, a typology into a new function. Like uh, even the museum in Chiang Mai, actually the, the one that you went, my um, contemporary art museum, it was a mm. warehouse that we transformed it into a, contem a contemporary art museum. Um, we transformed a lot of houses as well, uh, shop houses, of course, and uh, it's 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 always in in our DNA. Uh, finally, like finally, we every time we walk around, I walk around. I was always thinking, I'm always thinking, if this makes sense, if this could be transformed, and so on. And I think one reason. Uh, is that actually um, the way we use space actually changed very rapidly in the past, let's say 20, 30 years. But then uh, the buildings that already exist uh, didn't really uh, uh, transform itself I mean, it cannot be trans. It, it itself cannot be transformed. Anyway, uh, we cannot. We we cannot uh, change the building fast enough to meet all these uh, changes in the way we use the space or even the business. So mm. it's it in a place like Bangkok. Uh, you have a lots of buildings that uh, are not completely utilized, even. They are in a very good uh, location. It's still, I mean, even though a lot of um, developments are coming up, you still have a lot of buildings that uh, are not utilized. Mm. So, do you think that, you know, those are two examples of you, uh, I guess they're an adaptive reuse uh, project. Do you think that mm -hmm. because of those and perhaps other projects that you're now? kind of only known as an architect that transforms existing buildings? And, and if you are, is that something that you're 
happy about? Is that kind of a goal to work towards? Well, I, I, I think if we could transform building, we are happy to save the building. Uh, I don't know if I told you that uh, when we did um, our shop house uh, transformation, they knocked out uh, all the walls and it was like gigantic mountain of garbage that we were quite impressed. And uh, mm -hmm. I, I realized that, wow, if we tear down one building, actually you will create like really mountains of uh, debris that where, where are we going to put it? Usually they dump it in, uh, in an abandoned place or in the sea. And uh, this is quite uh, sad to, to see. Uh, so if when a project arrives to us and a client uh, asks us uh, if we can save a building, if we can transform, I'm always happy. But it's not like the real goal in, in being an architect to do only adaptive reuse, but not a new building. We, we, we also work on uh, many uh, new building, like working from an empty lot and uh, to build something. But uh, of course, if we could save a building, we are happy. Mm. And I wanted to ask you about uh, affordable housing because I think um, not the last time that I saw you in Bangkok, but on a trip during Bangkok Design Week many years ago, before COVID, mm -hmm. uh, you had a prototype of, I think you called it the lighthouse um, that was in the garage yes. of your office. And then I think it yes. was on show at a Biennale, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and I, I wanted to kind of hear a little bit about whatever happened to that project. Has there been any traction? Have you been able to replicate that in other places. Um, I just thought it was such an interesting kind of model for temporary and also affordable housing. Yes, uh, that project was uh, actually um, an initiative of uh, Chicago Architecture Biano in 2015. And then um, we did uh, different versions one, the one you saw in, in uh, the garage of our office, and then we did one in Japan, in Eshiko Sumari uh, Triennial, and, uh, and with many other exhibitions that uh, show the documentation of, of the project. But um, so far, it didn't really go forward as the mass uh, production, but I think it got a lot of attention because uh, it gives the idea that uh, uh, a kind of affordable housing doesn't need to be permanent. It could be in a shorter period of time upon uh, the condition of uh, the life of uh, different groups of people. Uh, I think that was our uh, kind of starting point and uh, after that we got involved actually with uh, the real uh, affordable uh, housing project which we are working now. It's a kind of um, almost like a shop house but uh, in a very uh, suburb place 
and we try to uh, replicate some ideas that we work uh, in our office. The, the, the kind of uh, a little bit of vertical living with some kind of, uh, the, of uh, the idea of uh, ventilation and lights and, and uh, how people would live in a kind of more space in this uh, uh, affordable housing. So it, the, the project itself, if I go back to answer your uh, question precisely, the project itself is quite, quite conceptual. So uh, we try to make it more into reality in working in a real uh, affordable housing project. Mm. So it was kind of an experiment in some ways to see what you could bring through into real projects. Is that a fair yes, thing to say? Yes, I, I think that's, that's more or less. And um, actually, because you asked about this lighthouse, we are working to develop uh, that, that idea is because uh, one of the curators that uh, work on uh, some museum in Europe really like that idea and uh, they asked us to develop further. Since now we are working with uh, a kind of informal um, urban settlements in Bangkok uh, because of the pandemic. You can imagine that uh, the living condition is extremely uh, poor and dense. So we are working with the community through some organization, how to improve shortly the condition of living. So uh, that is the kind of uh, very uh, urgent solution. But now we are trying to propose that uh, we should have a midterm solution uh, for them, how to, how to work on their uh, social housing or affordable housing using the lighthouse idea for the communities. And we are working in parallel with the community and the um, curator in Europe to trying to see if we can uh, come up with a typology, a new prototype and uh, find some uh, fundraising to to make a prototype for real. So that is, uh, if you ask if the, the Lighthouse project, how far it went, now we are working on this. Mm, that's really great to hear. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. I don't know how much we can do though. <laughs> <laughs> well, fingers crossed. Uh, I mean, it's, it's obviously much needed. So, you know, I hope that you get uh -huh. to advance that. Uh -huh. I actually wanted to ask you about your students because you, you also teach at, um, I'm, I may not pronounce it correctly, Chulalongkorn University in Bangkok. Perfectly. Um, yeah, you, you oh, pronounce great. perfectly. And, and, that's all, <laughs> <laughs> and that's also where you studied. Is that right? Yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. So you've got a young team in your office and you're, you're teaching at university. I'm, I'm curious to know about your students and the young team that you have. How do they feel about these kinds of projects? Are they... You know, are they excited about it or are they sort of thinking about going into architecture to build, you know, iconic structures and to become star architects? <laughs> uh, I think there's 
several types of students. The one that were finally yet the young uh, staff that were with me, uh, I think they already chose not to <laughs> not to build like skyscraper <laughs> because uh, it's not actually my interest. But I don't know. Maybe some days the uh, people come to me and say, "Hey, can, hey, can you build a skyscraper?" I and if the condition is interesting, maybe why not? But uh, there are several types of students for real, and uh, some of them. Uh, want to become like star architects and that's uh, they will choose different parts but uh, those uh, who work with me they actually they they really are excited about this kind of project because uh, it's a kind of project that they feel that they could uh, be useful to less fortunate people usually we have clients that I mean, they have to be a bit wealthy to to hire an architect. But uh, if you have a chance to work with people who are less fortunate, and uh, sometimes even uh, as a volunteer, sometimes uh, we get hired to do that. Uh, it is a really wonderful opportunity, I think, for us. I mean, for me and for for the people who work with me. Mm. Indeed. Well, I, I want to go back to Bangkok because that's where you're based. And as you know, it's, you know, maybe one of, one of my favorite cities, if not my favorite city, number one. Um, <laughs> we, we, we even think that you might move here. My God. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I spent I so much time there a few years ago. I know. Well, maybe after COVID. Let's see. <laughs> okay, okay. But, you know, it, it's changed so much in the last few years and I, I wanted to ask you from your perspective as a resident of Bangkok and an architect and someone who has, you know, obviously a keen interest in the, you know, the urban landscape. I wanted to know maybe what you would say are the biggest changes that you've seen uh, in the city since you've been practicing as an architect at least. Yes, uh, the biggest change that uh, happened in the past, actually 10 years, but uh, the past few years ha uh, has been accelerated, uh, is that uh, the small uh, community, like the row of shop houses and uh, small markets uh, are kind of weave off and then uh, we have in states uh, a big uh, condominiums uh, with a very high wall gated community in state so in doing uh, that kind of project actually uh, destroy pretty much life on the street which is a pity because I think it's one of the uh, most charming uh, mm -hmm. aspect of Bangkok if you if they can arrange it a bit better with uh, hygienic mm. and uh, safety but uh, to have all this uh, big condominium uh, everywhere especially uh, along the main street and uh, at the same time you kick out all this uh, small business, small food stall and so on, it, the, the city become pretty much uh, 
sterile in so many areas. Yeah, so that's, that's such I, I think we have to think about it. I I, th I think we have to think about how we deal with the uh, uh, street facade. Uh, in several areas uh, that used to be small business, so food store and even small shop houses, um, when they replaced with this kind of building, the street became quite dangerous at night because uh, you have like three meter high wall and uh, a little bit of dark uh, atmosphere. So nobody wants to walk. So I think that's uh, the the um, the change that I think it's uh, it would at the end destroy the vibrant atmosphere of the city. Oh, I really hope that doesn't happen. That's so sad. Bangkok wouldn't be the same. Yeah, I think the we we have to fix the regulations of uh, this this big building. But uh, did this happen like this because of the regulation? They need uh, to have uh, to build like further inside the plot and leave the space in the front uh, empty. So they build like big big fence and so on. So mm. let's hope. <laughs> let's hope indeed. <laughs> Well, my, my final question for you, I mean, I feel like I could talk all afternoon because it's also been a long time since I've seen you because of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I've followed your work for a couple of years now. And I think from my perspective, it seems that you don't seem to have an ego um, when it comes to what you do. Um, you know, you talked before about going back and seeing how a space has changed because the residents have come in and kind of you know, sort of customise the space and you don't seem to be overly prescriptive, you know, this sort of different approaches that you've taken to uh, re-engineering different typologies and adaptive reuse. And I think that's really interesting. Uh, and what I wanted to ask you is, you know, this lack of ego or the ability to at least put it aside, how important do you think that is for the future of our cities? Um, if, if more architects practice like that, how important do you think that is to be able to put your ego aside? Uh, I don't know if, uh, but first of, all, first of all, thank you for saying this, but I'm, I'm not sure <laughs> if, uh, is, if this is to put my ego aside, maybe I have different type of ego. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, I think that uh, the world has become, I think, at some point, okay, we, are, we live in the same uh, digital space, we use the same app, we use the same computer, we use the same phone, that's one thing. But uh, at the same time, uh, you have more ability to hear about different people, different opinions, more opportunity than before. So, uh, and also, I know uh, so uh, the way we live, the way we use anything uh, has changed very fast. Like you use a phone for a few years, for example, and uh, the way we use the phone and everything. The, the way we 
eat, the way we order foods, and everything changed so rapidly. And um, if you don't listen to the real uh, owner of the space, which is the people, I think it's very difficult to 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 do architecture that would last. Most of what I try to do is to make architecture last. Uh, in doing so, is trying to have the uh, the the building that I decide uh, most adaptive, like as adaptive as possible. That's how you make it last because everything is changing so fast. So I don't know if it's it is not if it is without ego or an ego in different ways. So <laughs> no, I think that's a great answer though. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much for. Wow, it's a bit uh, sentimental because now I really want to see you. <laughs> Oh, I know, I know. It's been so long. It's been so long. We had a, um, actually we had a date in Milan last year, but we didn't make it. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. You remember? Oh we were like, gosh. ah, let's meet. And I know. The and so, well, okay. I, but anyway. I thought I was finally going to have time because I had my whole team with me, but we'll just have to make sure we do that next time. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Let's uh, hope that we can enjoy any design uh, festival somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Well, thank you for your time yes. today. It's, yeah, it's been so nice chatting and it's just good to hear your voice and I hope to see your face soon. Thank you, thank you, Susie. And uh, I hope uh, we can meet in person very soon.